fact of the matter is that the subject of finances can be one of the most divisive forces in marriage, and that's where we have the problems. Why? Because a husband brings to a marriage his own ideas about money, and a wife brings to a marriage her own ideas about money, and many times these ideas are not the same. In fact, they often differ greatly. So you have two people who are in conflict. Sometimes it seems amazing how we argue and fight over money and other possessions. Yet we shouldn't be surprised. It's in our very nature to be greedy. Surely you've seen how little children refuse to share. Another child picks up one of their toys and they drop what they're doing, toddle over and yank that little toy back from the other child. One of the first words we learn is mine. We are by nature greedy. That's not to say we shouldn't care about money. Just that we need a godly perspective. Welcome to Verse by Verse. We're beginning a lesson today titled Marriage and Money. Now, money is a big deal to almost everyone, and pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is ready to help us deal with money in a biblical way, in particular as it affects our marriages. Pastor Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. This radio Bible class is an outgrowth of his ministry at Lakeside. I hope you have pen and paper ready to take notes because class is about to start. A while back, someone drew a cartoon that pictured a young woman chatting with her soon-to-be-married friends. Well, I sure hope you have a happy marriage, said the young woman to her friend. Oh, we won't have any problems, replied the bride-to-be, as long as we don't mention money. Now, I can assure you that that marriage will have plenty of problems and probably fail. Because money always plays a huge role in a marriage. Because money plays a huge role in life. So it's very important. In fact, Larry Burkett, the well-known Christian financial counselor, said this, and I quote, In over 70% of the marriages that fail, the primary symptom is finances. Under the best circumstances, conflicts between a man and a woman who share the same home is inevitable. When that relationship is strained by constant financial pressure, the result is usually open hostility, bitterness, and even divorce. End of quote. Now, why do couples have, have so many conflicts uh, over money? Let's go back to the, the very beginning. We've said this in our series over and over again. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. You don't need to turn there. You ought to write this down, though. Genesis 2, verse 24, reveals God's basic purpose for marriage. It says that, that the two shall become one. You take two people and you make them one, and that's more than a physical union. God means he's taken two independent persons, and now he's made a team of these two, a husband and a wife. And this team should have similar goals, ambitions, attitudes, directions. They maintain their own unique personality, but they're, they're part of the team. And they ought to be going in the same direction. In other words, there, there, there should be a oneness in the area of finances, just like there's a oneness uh, in all areas, or at least there should be. But the fact of the matter is that the subject of finances can be one of the most divisive forces in marriage. And that's where we have the problems. Why? Because a husband brings to a marriage his own ideas about, mar about money, and a wife brings to a marriage her own ideas about money, and many times these ideas are not the same. In fact, they, they often differ greatly. So you have two people who are in conflict. Uh, for example, 
he may think that money is very important, and she doesn't think it is. Just money, it's just paper, so what? Or he may be inclined to spend freely on entertainments, amusements, recreation, vacations, while she's inclined to be more cautious and reserved about spending for those things. She believes that if you want exercise and you need a diversion from work, then mow the lawn or start a hobby. That won't cost much money. And you could say vice versa, the same thing. Or, or she believes that they should give as a couple generously to the, to the church, to the Lord, but he thinks they, they need to save that money for future emergencies and, and uh, future needs and things like that. Or he wants to work as much as he can. There are family bills and, and there are needs and he's got a growing family and he wants to work overtime and he wants to get a second job and, and, and uh, all that. But she wants him to spend more time at home with her and the kids. And her attitude is, we'll sacrifice. We need you. There are some things more important than money, like building healthy relationships. Or he and she just have serious disagreements over what's important to spend on, what's a priority, and what's not a priority. I read recently about a couple who came, as a true story, came to a financial counselor seeking help on how to get out of debt. They were in serious debt. And the counselor advised them to go home and set up a budget to control primarily their miscellaneous overspending. You know, that category miscellaneous, and nobody knows exactly what that is. Now, the problem was that the husband's view of what was miscellaneous, what, uh, what was really miscellaneous spending, and the wife's view were very different. And, and I, I quote to you, here's what the financial counselor said. In their case, they were overspending approximately $500 per month on a variety of things. They left and came back in about two months. I asked the husband, well, how do you like the plan so far? Remember, he sent them home with a, a plan for a budget and, uh, and get a control on miscellaneous spending. And here's what the husband said. He said, this is great. I I've got our spending under control, and we're not going any further into debt. In fact, we're actually paying off some of our indebtedness and have a small savings. Then the counselor asked the wife, how do you like the plan so far? And she said, this is absolutely the worst thing that has ever happened in my life. Counselor said, why is that? She said, I thought you told me that this plan, uh, th that this would be a plan that would work for both of us. That's right. Well, let me tell you something. He has decided that my hair is miscellaneous. Our kids are miscellaneous. My car is miscellaneous. The house is miscellaneous. And she went on to name the things uh, that he had trimmed out of the budget. But she said, his bass boat is not miscellaneous. When the motor on his bass boat broke and he had to spend $200 on it, it was a necessity of life. See, now we, we chuckle at those things, but those are the real problems that couples are having. These are the typical kinds of, of money conflicts that, that husbands and wives face, and, and more. I just gave you a sampling. You could have someone who's extremely extravagant, someone who, let's face it, is just downright cheap, that you feel guilty if you leave a light on in the home. Now, that happens. Now, there are two basic reasons why there are money conflicts in a marriage. Number one, because a husband and, and a wife are sinners. And sinners are naturally inclined to be self-centered and selfish. And there is nothing quite like money to reveal our selfishness. Because money tells us what I can get for me. And so that just brings it out. It doesn't make us selfish, it just reveals character. The second reason why there are conflicts and differences in, in families with money 
is because husbands and wives were raised in different homes and their parents conveyed to them different uh, values and attitudes and, and, uh, and, and ideas concerning money. Now, if your parents had a similar value system to your spouse's parents, then probably you're not going to have as many conflicts over money. But if, it's, if it was vastly different, you're going to have some, some real challenges and obstacles to overcome. But the good news is they can be overcome. And that's what we're trying to convey to you throughout this series, that no matter what problem uh, you have, the Bible has an answer. And these problems can be overcome. How? By knowing financial problems can be overcome by knowing what the Bible teaches concerning money and money management. Now, assuming that you're both believers in Christ and you are submitted to the authority of the Word of God, then you can be helped. If you're not submitted to the authority of the Word of God, then you're going to flounder in your own problems. But the Bible has, as I've, as I've tried to narrow it down, and I've done uh, quite a bit of reading this week on, on this, uh, I see two aspects about family finances that will help you resolve your conflicts. We want to build unity in finances because there ought to be unity in marriage. And so I see that you need two things to have a unity in family finances. Number one, you must have a biblical philosophy of money. You must understand what the Bible says uh, concerning a philosophy of money. Secondly, you must implement this biblical philosophy of money into your marriage. So let's begin by looking at the first way to resolve marital conflict over money is to have a biblical philosophy of money. Let's begin by looking at that. The Bible has a great deal to say about money. Many Christians don't realize that, and it may surprise you to know that, that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Isn't that interesting? Because in many respects, money is life. In fact, just about every parable that Christ, uh, Christ taught involved money one way or another. So our Lord recognized that money is a vital part of, of life and, and so forth. And even though God has a lot to say about money, many Christians are just ignorant about what God's word uh, teaches on money and where God fits in to their money matters. In fact, when they think of God and money, the typical Christian only thinks of that word that starts with a T called the tithe. The tithe. In fact, they don't see anything beyond that. And um, much of the blame probably has to lie on, on their pastors who all they teach about is the tithe and nothing else. I know people who just cringe when their pastor preaches about money. In fact, if they know ahead of time that money will be the subject, they will skip church that day. Now, that may be because of the way the pastor treats the topic, or it may simply be that they're afraid that the Lord will convict them of withholding from Him what they ought to be giving back to Him. Or maybe it's both. We don't naturally recognize that God is our provider. In fact, we tend to forget that nothing is really ours. It all belongs to God. He has something better in mind for His children than devoting most of our energy to acquiring and keeping wealth. When we return to class in just a minute, Pastor Steve will share with us some biblical financial principles. I hope you'll write them down and remember them. They're simple and they are liberating. Perhaps you just tuned in and you're wondering, what's going on? We're glad to have you here with us. You're listening to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air taught by pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff. 
Pastor Steve has been teaching and ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. Verse by Verse Ministries grew out of a desire to enable Pastor Steve's expository teaching to reach and help more people. If you would like to learn more, we have a website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We'll tell you a little more about the website at the end of today's program. Right now, though, it's time to get back to class. Here's Pastor Steve. What does the Bible say about money? I'm going to give you some principles. You ought to write this down. I'm just pulling, I think we have three principles. The uh, Bible certainly has a lot more to say, but, uh, but three principles on money that will, will help you to form a biblical philosophy of money. I think these are the most important principles. Number one, God wants us to know that He is the one who gives us the ability to make money and that all money comes from Him. I remember growing up saying, uh, I want this, I want that, and, and I heard that probably what most parents have said to their children at one time or another, do you think money grows on trees? I thought it grew on my dad, actually, not trees. And I just thought, you know, you need something, just go to him or, or go to my mom. I, I didn't care where it grew, I just wanted it. Well, some people think money kind of grows on trees, but it doesn't. It comes from God. God is the source of money. A few verses. Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, speaking of the children of Israel, as they're about to go into the land of Canaan, God says, you shall earnestly remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That's a tremendous verse. If you have a lot of money, it's because God has given you the power to get wealth, not because you're particularly good at what you do. You may be good at what you do, but it is God who gave you the ability to be good at what you do. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 and 12, just part of the verse says, both riches and honor come from you. So if you have riches, it comes from God. Even if you have a little bit of it, it comes from God. Proverbs 10, 22 says, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. And Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. So everything comes from God and God gives us the ability to make money. Whatever money you have, whether you consider yourself in uh, poverty-stricken, middle-income uh, status, or wealthy, it comes from God. He's the source of what you have. Therefore, you need, and I need to be careful, that we have the right attitude towards what? His money, not my money, not your money. It's His money. And basically, what we're doing now is establishing attitudes. Attitudes. See, I think this is the key issue. If a couple thinks that, that what they possess belongs to them, then they're going to have some serious conflicts over sinful desires on how to spend their money. But if you look at it and say, all of my possessions belong to God, everything I have belongs to Him, then both of you are going to submit, to, uh, submit your desires, whatever they are, to His desires on how to handle His money. It's not yours anyway. I mean, that's just the basic truth. That's one that, that you need to either uh, take to, to heart and believe or say the Bible's not true. That's just a basic issue of, of Scripture. So if your money comes from God and it belongs to God, and it does, then how does that affect our attitudes towards money? Well, it ought to make us very satisfied with what we have. Because God has, you know, we say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, part of that truth is that God loves you and has a wonderful financial plan for your life. 
If you aren't satisfied with God's sovereign financial plans for you, then uh, you, you really open yourself up to all kinds of problems. Now, we're not talking about being complacent. I just want to explain that. We're not talking about not working. There were some people in the Thessalonian church that said, well, the Lord's coming at any time, so why bother working? And they became busybodies. And the Apostle Paul said, listen, if a man will not work, then he doesn't eat either. So we're not talking about that. We're not talking about, Lord is going to do it for me. I'll just stay home and, and, or I'll just witness for him. We're not talking about that. We'll get to work in uh, dealing with work in just a few minutes. But I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is a very, very important portion of Scripture concerning finances and your attitude. See, the issue is not your money. The issue is your attitude towards God's money. Your attitude. 1 Timothy chapter 6. For those of you who may not be aware of that, it's in the New Testament. Uh, you, you have to go past Corinthians and Ephesians, Philippians and, and uh, Thessalonians. And then you'll hit 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 says this. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Now notice he, Paul doesn't say money is evil. A lot of people think that, that the Bible teaches money is evil. Money is amoral. It's not good. It's not bad. It's kind of like food. It's just what you do with it and your attitude that determines whether you use it in a good manner or whether you use it in, a, in an evil manner. Uh, it is the love of money that is, that is evil. It's the love of money. The pursuit of money and the love of money, Paul writes, has resulted in many problems for people. Many problems, especially for God's people who get caught up with this. It says that they some have longing for it. That is, they have pursued it. That, is, that has become the governing goal of their life. They have wandered away from the faith. They pierced themselves with many a pang. What kind of pangs? Well, let's look back at verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. See, it, the issue is not how much you have. You can be very poor, but you want to get rich. You can be very wealthy and you want to get richer. So the issue is not how much you have or how much you don't have, because some people who are, who are poor might think, well, that leads me off the hook. No, it doesn't matter how much you have. It's those who want to get rich and those who want to get even more rich or richer. Um, we ought to be content. First Timothy chapter 6, verses uh, 7 and 8. Look at this. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Paul said, I'm content with food and covering because I didn't bring anything in. And it's for sure that I'm not taking anything out. You know the old saying, well, how much did he leave behind? Everything. Everything he left behind. He didn't take anything with him. So he ought to be content and satisfied. Now, specifically, what kinds of problems can result when you want to get wealthy and are not content with what God has supplied for you and graciously given you? Here are some of the temptations, some of the consequences of wanting to get wealthy. And we live in a world that that's, that's what, what's pumped to us. Number one, you can easily forget God. Now, we're talking about believers. This is written to believers. You can forget God. You can leave God out in the pursuit of money. I have a dear friend who was... Uh, was making money and things were going very well. In fact, he was just telling me about this recently. Money was coming in, coming in, but he was forgetting God. He was doing other things and, and uh, didn't have time for the Lord and was neglecting the Lord and, and God-given responsibilities. And God took that away. God took that, that away. He doesn't have anything like that anymore. 
So that's very, that's very real. You can forget God. There are some who pursue money and, and when they get it, they tend to forget where it came from, who gave it to them. And they assume that they don't need God anymore because they have money and they can get now whatever they want. They can buy whatever they want. Well, that's a deluded person, but that's, that's the warped, sinful thinking that, that we have. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, and then we're going to look at the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, about a church that did this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, I quoted uh, just a few minutes ago, but let's see what God has said to them, the children of Israel on the verge of entering into the land of Canaan. And God is saying, I don't want you to forget me. I brought you to this point, and, and now that you're coming to the promised land, I don't want you to leave me outside of the land. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Lest when you've eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply, notice there's blessing now, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And this is why later on in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God says, if you do this, I'm going to curse you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to even send you out of the land. I'm going to send agricultural catastrophes upon you because that's how they understood what God was doing. That's how they understood that, that they had moved away from God. And Israel brought on its own problems because they did forget God. And that's, that truth certainly applies to us today. You can forget God. You can say... Uh, when, you know, it's very easy when you're, when you're first married and, and uh, most couples who, uh, when they first get married, are very poor and there's a blessing with being very poor because you lean on the Lord. And then you start making a little bit of money and you forget God. And you look back and you say, oh, but those were the good old days. We, we, didn't, we didn't know how we were going to survive from paycheck to paycheck. But we trusted the Lord. We trusted the Lord. There is the blessing of being in poverty. Revelation chapter 3. Is another great passage of scripture all the way to the end of the Bible. Church at Laodicea forgot God because they were they they did get wealthy, and there's a tremendous truth here, and I'm going to read it to you. To the verse 14 of Revelation 3, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this. This is what Christ says to his church. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. That is, they were lukewarm Christians. And it nauseated God because he says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot uh, nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That is the sin that, that nauseates God. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, they had material things, but they didn't understand that spiritually, character-wise, they were poverty-stricken. Thanks, Pastor Steve. We'll continue this message in our next broadcast. Where is your focus? Is it on serving the Lord or is it on acquiring wealth? That's not to say we ought to forget about money. We do need to be good stewards of what God has provided, whether it's a little or a lot. But if acquiring wealth is our objective in life, we are not only shortchanging ourselves, we are headed for disaster. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. This is the first part of Pastor Steve's lesson about marriage and money and is part of his extended series of messages concerning the biblical family. 
If you would like to order a CD of the entire message, please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a phone number and someone will return your call during weekday office hours. The number again is 727-441-1714. You may want to visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. At our website, you can learn more about Verse by Verse Ministries. You can listen again to today's program, or you might choose to take advantage of our free podcasting service. That's versebyverseradio.org. Verse by Verse Ministries is a faith ministry which depends on the prayers and gifts of interested people who have first been supportive of their local church. Please come back again next time for more of this lesson on marriage and money. We are here to give you strength between